This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's It's Rog. Oh, it's Wednesday. Oh, a day in which we all need a pickup. That middle child of a day, suspended halfway between the wonder that is the weekend to come and the one which preceded it. If you need a lift today, and let's be honest, we all need a lift today. Head over to our Twitter, our social, to find our collaboration with the NHL Men in Blazers on Ice. Oh, in which, thanks to our partners, Jägermeister, the perfect shot. We were able to sit down with an epic human being, Stanley Cup MVP Ryan O'Reilly, one of the the single most thoughtful, empathetic athletes I've ever encountered. Oh, the full film genuinely is life-enhancing. Wednesday, also a day on which we love to bring a GFOP onto the pod, and not any GFOP but someone who is a remarkable human being with a lived experience that's given them a wisdom they can impart at a time when, let's face it, oh, the world's a complex place. We're all fighting to bring a little light into the darkness right now, so it's a great joy to bring back to Men in Blazers an old friend, a former Major League Baseball pitcher, turned crazy football fan, Liverpool dragged him in, and he's fallen hard, people becoming a co-owner of USL Major League aspiring Phoenix Rising. He is a remarkable bloke, a renaissance man with a 93 mile per hour sinker. It's a joy to welcome back to the pod with a Zoom background direct from Dunder Mifflin, Scranton Branch. It's Mr. Brandon McCarthy. Mr. Roger Bennett, how are you? Oh, I'm good now, Brandon. It is a human wonder to hear your voice. You're actually, Brandon, our second ever guest on the Men in Blazers TV show. We had we had no idea what we were doing. We still don't, arguably. But you you said this. But I hope Balotelli starts scoring and, and you can be excited for matches again on, on game day and wake up wake up excited like I don't need to take another sad nap in two hours. <laughs> sad naps. You dropped this incredible term into this interview. And we were just so raw, so inexperienced. So, I mean, really, we just had our bald heads for uh, our resume. We just stuck to our script and totally ignored it. But it stuck. Your terminology captures a human experience that I crave. So that was a real-life experience that I thought everybody had, had probably experienced, where you get up at 5.30, your team, terrible performance, and you go right to sleep right back on your couch. Bite your arm off for a sad nap right now. I mean, really, the whole world is a, in, in many ways a waking sad nap. You're in Phoenix, right? How have you fended off the darkness? We've been relatively okay here. The, the weather's been really nice. We've, um, the disease, thankfully, hasn't had a tremendous impact here. It, it, it hasn't really exploded the way it has in other places, so we've, we haven't felt like, we were, like we've been surrounded by it. Um, and then we've just got a little family unit here that, that we're pretty, pretty weathered with things. We know how to kind of just roll with the punches. And, and this isn't terribly different from the lives that we live as a retired athlete as it is. So we, we're good at puttering the house and just playing with a little one in the yard and, and just existing. So that's been, it really hasn't been too terrible for us, to be honest. Is this something that you've watched or read that you recommend, the TV show that the McCarthys have been binging? We started, we started a rewatch of the West Wing right when this started for some reason. I don't know why we felt like we needed to go into our little liberal fantasy dreamland uh, 
to, to watch kind of if politics were rational and common sense based. I don't, but we, we just finished that this last week. And so now we're kind of bouncing around looking for some new shows to, to get into. So that, that helped for a few weeks. And it's more once we settle in the routine of here's what our day looks like. And then at nighttime, we put the little one down and then we can, then we can head into the movie room and, and sit there and just watch for a little while and, and kind of leave earth and, and then go to bed. So it became a daily routine. That was really nice. Oh, I bite your arm off for president Bartlett now. How are you <laughs> holding up with a life without sports? That's getting tough. I, I'm noticing it more and more. The first few weeks it was okay. I mean, I, uh, about week three, I did go to bed on Friday night, and this is true to God. I rolled over in bed and set the alarm on my phone to think, what, wait, what time do I have to set it for the early kickoff? Oh, muscle memory. And then realized, well, this was just a stupid thought and just rolled right back over and kind of took my own sad nap at 10 o'clock at night. So I think uh, we're doing okay without the sports, but now I'm starting to notice that would be really nice to have something on the weekends to go to. I mean, I will say this weekend was super tough for me i mean the six without premier league football and it really hit me harder than the rest for some reason i mean just a i experienced an enormous empty chasm of unfulfillment a low-grade moaning that i couldn't silence i mean has this made you think at all about what sports role has played that we now lack i might not think about that until till things go back to normal and then realize okay this is way better i mean we've I hate to sound, we haven't hated this time because it's, it's wonderful family time and we've been home and I, I'm less distracted on, in the morning. I can, um, I'm not yelling around the house at, at a Liverpool match and my daughter looking at me like, what's going on? <laughs> so I, but I, I think to have those little breaks, just that little bit of, um, I don't know, I, it's sort of like a meditation for me too, to just sit there for two hours and watch, watch a football match, watch something and you just kind of turn off a, a golf you know, a golf weekend that just, it just floats over the course of the weekend and you can check in and out of it as you like. Um, I realize the value of it, but I, this hasn't been as devastating as I thought for it to go away, but I think I've got about another week before it becomes very clear. I love your approach to it. I also love the notion of your daughter turning to your wife and being like, mommy, daddy's going off on Nabi Cater again. <laughs> oh, but we're going to talk about Liverpool in one moment, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about Major League Baseball, you are currently a consultant to the mighty Texas Rangers. There's a lot of talk about baseball returning in a biodome-like setting. I love that word. It sounds like the future. We're all going to play in biodomes <laughs> in your home state of Arizona, sequestering players and other essential personnel in hotel rooms, holding games at various ballparks in the Phoenix area without spectators. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide, no escape from reality? I think some version of that will probably have to happen. I don't know that there's any alternative. So, I mean, it does bring it the chance that baseball comes back this year, but I think it's, it's the same in the Premier League. I think it's the same in any league. I think money wins. It just, you have to, you have a lot of things to satisfy and it's hard to let a business go dormant for a year and, and think that everything will come back a-okay and jobs will still be there. So I think if you can get something to get the engines back going again, it's pretty crucial. I think it's, I think it's a plan that has, that's fraught with a lot of problems, but um, of all possible situations, it's probably the best one. So I don't know if it'll just be in Arizona, if it's going to be spread out through a few different cities and there'll just be multiple locations where this happens. But I think baseball is going to come back in some form or fashion. It's just going to look a little bit different than we're used to. You were until recently a pro athlete. So I'm fascinated about this for soccer purposes, but in terms of baseball, 
when it returns, and I agree, I think it will return in closed door stadiums, biodomes, how will it impact the ball players psychologically, dealing with silence and really the removal of the pressure that fans generate? I don't, that's the question I can't answer. And I, I, I've been thinking about that a lot. I think you're going to see simple things like the velocity, pitcher velocity will go down a little bit. I, I think about playing a, a 10 a.m. game in 110 degree weather in Phoenix with no fans. Um, one of the biggest things you have going for you is that, that pre-match, that pre-game adrenaline where just everything gets ramped up and then you start throwing harder, you run faster, everything comes out because you're performing. You take that away and you can hear crickets, you can hear someone sneeze, you can hear... You can just hear way too many ambient sounds. It takes away that feeling. So I think I could see performance just coming down this little bit and just getting a lot of sleepy, sleepy performances that we're not used to. A lot of Jordan Pickford-style baseball play. <laughs> Tampa Bay Devil Rays actually going to have a competitive advantage. But while we're talking about the minds of elite athletes, I have wondered on a couple of occasions, what's happening inside the homes of elite footballers. Now, the initial burst of toilet roll juggling videos is burnt off. A study released this week by the Players Global Union, FIFPRO, they found uh, that depression and anxiety have rocketed amongst their members. I think 22% of female players, 13% of the male players that they polled reported symptoms consistent with a diagnosis of depression. I mean, footballers, in a way, they're like us but only more so. What, what will be going through their minds right now? I, I, none of that surprises me. I mean, it, it's the need for competition, the need for the, even the highs and the lows. The whole, it, it becomes very much a drug that your, your body gets addicted to because it's, it's all it's known and it's what it, it's learned to chase. So even, even retiring, I was very comfortable with the idea of retiring. I was ready for it, but I still find myself in that same where you're um, things have a tendency to feel purposeless if there isn't this extreme peak, extreme valley. Everything kind of riding in the middle feels not acceptable. Um, so I would assume that's where they are right now, where it's just everything's riding in the middle, which just tends down and nothing goes up. So um, I, I think you just get stuck in your own your own loop of what am I? What's validating anything? I just spent five months working out and working and getting through spring training, and then now all of a sudden I'm just stuck. It's I. I I don't envy these guys at all right now. I mean, it, it's got to be nice for someone to be home and spending some good time, but um, what's going on upstairs is just the clogs. The pipes are just clogged, I think. Oh, and that was the sigh of a man who's, whose pipes have been clogged for nigh on 73 <laughs> years, which is a natural segue into talking about Liverpool Football Club. We last had you on Men in Blazers back in fall 2014 when Liverpool were under the inspirational leadership of that legend known as Brendan Rodgers. Brodge. And they finished six. To me, frankly, they were a preferable team. But (laughs) things have changed a lot since then. How have you experienced the Jurgen Klopp transformation? It's been been the greatest thing that I've been a part of or just like he gotten to enjoy in sports uh, it's been one I think he is an incredible human being on all fronts and I he is now my new answer to who's the one celebrity or person that you admire that if you found out something bad you would be devastated and I think now the answer is him because he is he's not just good as a sports person he's good as a human being he is I, I've never heard someone speak in my life who is better at choosing their words in any given situation than than Jurgen Klopp he's just he is perfect. And so this is, it's changed the identity of the club. We've, there's no more, there's less infighting, hating players. Everything has gone right. We win a bunch. We win beautifully. We, 
um, the passion. I mean, it's this full reuniting of the club that I, I could not be more excited about. Yeah, I think my celebrity that if I found out something bad about it would be devastating would probably be Kyle Walker. But <laughs> how has it been to witness Jurgen Klopp transform the locker room, the tactics, the very fabric of the club's culture? I mean, is there any baseball manager you've ever experienced who comes close to the man management abilities he has? Baseball has a different, I mean, there's, there's man management in baseball, but there isn't team talks. There's no team identity. There's there's just pulling people together slowly over the course of a season. I, I think football has more drastic highs and lows of, all right, we'll have a talk at halftime and get this together where, whereas that doesn't happen in baseball. So um, I haven't, I've been around some great managers, but nothing, I think even close to Jurgen Klopp. And I, uh, last night I was watching again, the highlights of, of Barcelona last year, which I had the absolute fortune to be at that match with a couple of, of my close friends um, who are massive Liverpool fans themselves. And one of them uh, is older and he grew up on the cop and, and now lives in, in the States. Um, so we go over once or twice a year. And that happened to be the first time that I got to go over to, a, I've been to a few Champions League matches, but they've always been group stages. This is my first chance. I knew when I retired, I was going to run straight over and go to a, a knockout uh, stage match. And sure enough, that gets to be the first one that I, that I choose to go to. And it was it was absolute perfect in every sense of the word, just from the buildup, not feeling impossible, the walking around Liverpool one and seeing Barcelona fans milling about like it was just a casual day out um, all the way through the final whistle. I can't, I could do hours and hours on game because it was so incredibly special. There's something so magical about that performance where everything's impossible and somehow he gets this team of two of their best players to not play, to fully believe in this cause of, not necessarily winning, but we're going to play as beautifully as possible. We'll do everything and then we'll see where that shakes out and that will be a good enough result. I love that notion, Brandon. Fail beautifully, fail beautifully. Something I've been specializing at for, <laughs> for, for much of my life. How are you holding up then? You know, processing this as a fan, this season of wonder, this, this season of dreams. I mean, it is the season that dreams are made of, the the, of yearning, 30 years of craving, fulfilled, moving through to a sense of nothing can stop us now, and now you're going to believe us, and now you're going to believe us. Now you're going to believe us. We're going to win the league. Then this, then this. How, how, are you, how are you experiencing it? How are you processing it? How are you holding up? We've, we've played 17 holes. We've hit two wonderful shots into the green. We have two feet less to putt, and then the horn went off for a rain delay, and everybody has to go inside. And we know, just let us back out in the course and tap this in so we can all celebrate. Why are we – this is such a pain in the ass. And so that whole season has been, been so much fun to watch, just the magic of, of late winners, feeling like it was the old United squad where just there was not enough time. We would, we would get it done somehow to just knowing now that we're so close. And I – I know that this will this season will return in some form or fashion. It won't be as magical as it would have been had we had we clinched a few weeks ago. But um, I'm still excited for that to happen. That actually gives me something really to look forward to, and I think most Liverpool fans something to look forward to. That when this does all return, we will go, we will tap that two footer in, and we will get to celebrate the first time in 30 years. Oh, I love your imagery. It makes me think of Jean Van der Velde at the Open. <laughs> it really, really does. God, I'm going to be chanting for the yips. Oh, do you find just listening to you though, your passion, remarkable. Do you find that watching football as opposed to baseball, part of what you love about Liverpool is that you can really enjoy Premier League football as a fan first. But when you know when you watch baseball, which you do a lot, it's linked to knowing too much to savor it 
in a pure emotional kind of way. Hundred percent. I mean, there's I, you lose this sort of fandom of baseball. I I am a fan of the sport. I'm a fan of watching individual players or now a team that I work for. You you could become a fan on that level, but it's not this full on passion for a team where you're living and dying with the result. I don't know that I'll ever have that again about a baseball team because there's sort of that once you've seen how the sausage is made, but two um, fandom is just something that's just inside of you. I mean, it just has to exist. And so I think if I had had a magical, magical career with one team and just fully identified with them and their fan base, then maybe that would be the case. But um, that not being the case, it's, it's hard to, to have that feeling. You're just sort of creating it. But whereas Liverpool, it feels like it's just a part of me. It feels like it's been there since birth, even though it hasn't. It, it, it just consumes you. It's amazing how football can do that. I adore that. I adore the passion. And I do think a lot, you know, my family are in Liverpool. My brother Nigel is a red and I've joked with him a lot over the past couple of weeks. Good luck to the person uh, in the city of Liverpool who has to enforce social distancing uh, (laughs) when Liverpool do get those six points. And when you think about that, we have to say huge credit to FSG, whom you know from their baseball work. I remember when they took over from the American owners, Gillette and Hicks. And Liverpool fans proper hated them, or mostly feared them, distrusted them. You know, I'd go up and interview Tom Werner on an annual basis. And when I did, and I'd tweet out to him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and meet Tom Werner. And what questions have you got? Everyone with all, you know, the whole Liverpool would tweet me just being like, an alt Mkhitaryan! When are you going <laughs> to spend money, you tight bastards? Uh, and just like, splash the cash, splash the cash. I kept hearing it, you know, um, on an annual basis. And as a pitcher, you were sabermetric savvy. And it's been fascinating watching FSG, their learning curve, because they did, they'll admit they made mistakes at the beginning, but they yeah. learn very quickly. Their learning curve is what I admire greatly. More than anything, I've, I've gotten a chance to go over and meet some of the crew and the staff there and, and spend some time. But I, the person I haven't been able to meet yet is boarding director, Michael Edwards. And I, I would love to get over and sit down and talk with him because it, uh, his ability, I mean, in the transfer market, every piece of business they've done has been as good as it gets. I, I don't understand how there's this unblemished record when before it was only blemished. So um, that's who I would love to talk to and just to see what his approach is. And I'd love to talk just from a professional level, much less a fan level. Just what are you looking for? What are the, the markers you're identifying? How is everybody you bring in seemingly a good person, a great locker room fit? Um, not to mention still has room to grow and you guys get to realize that, but that pen, the potential above what you're paying for them. Uh, you know, um, when you do meet Michael Edwards, can you please encourage him to sign more Shakiris and less Virgils, but <laughs> Trent Alexander-Arnold's crosses can't be up there in your mind with Clayton Kershaw's curveball as an athletic human wonder. They're absolutely perfect. And I, like I, it was last night I was watching, his cross to Vidal in the box for goal number two is the one that brought me to tears just watching Vidal spin away and he's just gone off the chin. It's always coming off the right foot of Trent. I've never seen a right back that somehow can elicit comparisons to KDB. I don't even understand how that's a possibility, especially at his age. I, um, he's just a, a magical player to go along with the other 12 magical players that they have there right now. KDB rhymes with Sidibe in a badly pronounced world. As a pro athlete, what would it feel like, can you imagine, being called in to tack a nine-game coda on weeks after the season's ground down? Will it feel like a different season to the players athletically? I would think so. I mean, this has been, it's already been almost longer than what they typically get in terms of an off-season. And 
doing different training. And I, I, I would think fitness levels have gone way down training as a team. I don't know how long they'll be given to once they do return, do they get two weeks? Do they get a month to, to train together? I would think, I would think it's going to be some ugly play for a while, almost more kind of like international football where you can tell people aren't playing together a lot and just trying to, to piece things together. So I think it's going to be, it's going to be strange and weird looking. And I, I can't imagine that from a player's perspective where you get very little downtime in football and now you're, you've been down for six weeks and then expected to go again and try and make that. I, I worry less for Liverpool where, um, like I said, it's a tap and putt, but teams trying to avoid relegation and fighting for that where you now have to be at your best. That I think is going to be a really, really interesting fight to watch. I'm going to just summarize your last answer and put words into your mouth that the title will forever have an asterisk against it is essentially what you said. But are you in any <laughs> <laughs> are you are you in any doubt or any fear that Liverpool will not be rewarded with the title this season? No, I, I think like in any situation, I think money wins out, and I think you can't not finish the season. I mean, I know that if I if I own a relegation team team in relegation you told me that I was going to be relegated because the season stopped and that I would fight that endlessly I, it's it's just all of it is just too much money and I can't see how you would stop all this it's I think if it was 15 maybe even 20 games into the season at this point I think I could see that being more of a case but we're so far gone that to not stop that feels or to not re- recontinue that feels like an impossibility you know I, I believe Liverpool will win the title or be awarded the title. And if they are, it will be right. And from a sporting achievement POV, it will be right. I I do revere FSG watching those American owners get their heads around the intricacies of Premier League leadership and restoring Liverpool to glory. I mean, that double act, Boston Red Sox 2004, breaking the curse was was a remarkable lifetime achievement. This is even greater. I mean, this is even greater to me because it's being played out with the whole world watching. Yeah, I guess both are kind of cultural touchstones. It's one, they were both like sources of, of humor for people who weren't Red Sox fans or Liverpool fans. But I think both are, are fantastic. But to know that both have been done in a sustainable way where it's not just a one-off that you saw the Red Sox come back and win it again in 7, 13, 18. I mean, it, they've maintained being a powerhouse, whereas Liverpool is very much set up that I think the thing that most excites me is that this isn't going to be like 2013 and knowing that come fall next year, we're going to be in six is that we are set up very well for a long time. We have our ducks in a row and city's going to take a, take a beating now. Well, hopefully if, if they lose their case, then uh, they should be weakened a little bit. And that I think it's, it's set up very well now to know that this could be not a dynasty, but this could actually be a long running thing and not just a one year flash in the pan. Suarez and Surridge went nuts. And now next year we're, we're looking at something else. Two words for you, Carlo Magnifico. But you are not just a fan. You've actually become an owner with Phoenix Rising, the club in the USL. I've loved our conversations over the years as you have begun to wrap your mind around the, the football role, you know, particularly scouting, youth development, which is something that you're quite interested in. How would you describe the role you've taken? I try to focus more on on those things, things that are actually on field or things that if you're dealing with the actual players or dealing with the coaches, things that kind of intertwine with things that I've done in my life, that um, the business side I'd like to listen to and learn from the rest of our ownership group, just kind of learn by osmosis because it's, those are things that are outside of my wheelhouse. And the only thing I could do is get involved and really screw things up. So I try to listen and pay attention there and, and follow the, the many moving pieces that it takes to even make small football club move. But I love the, 
I love working with the head coach, the, the coaches and dealing with them, whether it's um, just as a pick me up, whether it's just talking to them, whether it's me learning from them tactically what we're doing. Um, but it's been an absolute joy to be a part of the whole thing. And the fact that we're a very, very, very good team and we play beautiful football makes it that much better. Oh, one dollar beer night should be just an invention from Phoenix that is just brought right across football. There is a lot of obsession in world football right now surrounding the Premier League's return and the Champions League. But how does the pandemic impact a team in the USL at second level, a team that have aspirations of major league status? This is, this is a tough fight for us because we are much more akin to a small business than there isn't a large contract that oversees us where it's a television contract, just come back and all will be well and we can, we can try and get back. It's, you need fans in the stands, you need people to, so as much as we're dying to get out and, and play out our season and, and get things going, it's, it's a much harder business proposition when you've got guys playing and, and nobody, you need that money coming in. These aren't, these aren't money-making businesses. So it's a challenge and it's, it's one that nobody has an answer for because when you run a small business, nobody has a pandemic playbook and we're trying to work that out day by day. And I think everybody's starting to come together and realize we just have to get this season underway in some form or fashion, play this out and just keep moving forward. But I don't think anybody knows what that looks like yet. And it's a challenge, not for just for USL. It's a challenge for MLS in general. That's not being talked about enough. I think, cause I can understand the premier league coming back closed door. There's a global audience who want to watch that, who crave watching that on television, even fanless. But USL and MLS, the business model is so dependent on live fans' ticket revenue. And I do wonder what an MLS game, you know, like Colorado-Houston would be like without fans. I mean, almost like a tree in a forest falling without no one there to hear it if it's closed. I think so too. I think you'd have your passionate supporters paying attention, but... I think there's, there's a huge timing issue coming up in two, three months if you've got Colorado and Houston playing and then there's two NFL games at the same time, college football maybe return, somehow the Masters is being, I mean, it's just, it absolutely will fall into a sea of impossibility to, to find people to tune into that. And I think you might even lose some of your passionate supporters. MLS is, is one that I worry about there. Yeah, I mean, that is, that is a darkness because as you say, when sport does come back in whatever fashion, I mean, it is, it's going to be the NFL it's going to be the NBA letting off all its fireworks, the NHL roaring back, you know, well, the Masters, the Premier League, the Champions League, the Euros, the Olympics, the Open. I'm getting excited hearing you talk. but oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the bandwidth for the American sports fan. It is going to be, for the sports, the second tier level, MLS is going to be severely tested. Yeah, I, I don't know how they how that looks for them, if they have any plans in place, how that, if it's just going to be kind of a grin and bear it sees it, we're just going to let's get through it and wade through what are going to be really tough times and just move to next year and, and get back underway. I, I don't know how that, I think even some big sports would suffer in that scenario. If you could have an NFL Sunday going up against a Masters Sunday, who wins in that scenario? Who I, Teams, some people are going to be cut out, like you said, because the bandwidth is just going to be too much to take in. The only answer to that is television manufacturers. Oh, Brandon, for the time I've spent with you, I know that you're an optimist. I mean, anyone watching you rebound from hardship moments in your career knows you are tenacious. So to close, last month we were blessed with the great Ray Hudson. He joined us, ended the pod with some words of courage. The FDR fear of fear itself speech. John Green, rocks and mountain goats. Rebecca Lowe channeled her mum, the queen. What story do you draw strength from when you need it? The floor's yours. 
I wish, I wish mine was more magical if it was some wonderful speech or some piece of, of literature that, that drew inspiration. And mine is truly just one single quote that a coach said to me. His name was Steve Schreiner. I, uh, he was a junior high teacher who helped coach our, our high school baseball team. So I think he coached our, our freshman baseball team. It's the Cheyenne Mountain Indians. Oh, the famed Cheyenne Mountain Indians. <laughs> We're in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Oh. And... It's early on in the season. It's kind of cold. I was complaining about something. I can't remember what I was bitching about, but I do remember it was cold out. So it could have been the cold. And he just very simply looked at me and just said, worse things have happened to better people. And there's something about that. He had a very dry, caustic uh, delivery of everything. So we, we got along very well. And it just instantly made sense to me. It was this perfect reframing sentence that I have never ceased to use since I, in the myriad of things that have happened to me, and especially my baseball career being having my brains turned into scrambled eggs, Tommy John surgery, just multiple shoulder injuries, and then two cases of the yips. No matter what, I mean, that was the sentence that got me through everything is every time you wanted to wallow in self-pity and doubt, it was just quite simply, worse things have happened to better people. And I would just instantly feel better and move about my day. And uh, it's, it's, helped, it's helped me now. Uh, you know, you're locked inside. You kind of feel, all right, I'm so crazy. You're a little bit scared of everything. And it was like, worse things have happened. Like, there's people right now, there's a million people going through worse things than I'm going through. This is nothing. So it's, it's an instant key for me to tell my brain to, to shut up, turn off, let's move on to the better things and, and find the positive. And oh, Coach Steve, I love that. Just a, 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 a one word that may have meant something to Coach Steve, may not, but how those kind of words right now can just become guiding lights. You know, I mean, I'm writing a book, an awful book about growing up in England in the 1980s. My teacher, Mr. McNally, at a time when I was throwing my life away, picked me up by my nipples, banged me against the wall. And he just said, make your future big, Benj. Make the distractions small. And then dropped me into a pile of sports bags. And genuinely, that's all. I've, I mean, he, he, he would not remember doing that. I'm sure he did that to countless people. Maybe he just loved nipple grabbing. I have no idea. But those words, worse things have happened to better people. What a powerful statement. In a way right now, if we're alive, we should all feel grateful for what we have. And that statement truly captures it. Brandon McCarthy, oh, I feel so much better now on a Wednesday than I did 35 minutes ago when we started talking. I know our listeners will too. I'm so, so grateful for your wisdom, your insight, oh, your knowledge and your passion. And I wish you and your family courage. Thank you, Roger. Love being on again.